Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. So last week, Pastor Matt preached on probably one of the most famous Bible stories in the Old Testament or in the Bible in general is David and Goliath. Do you remember? Who all was here for that? Okay, so I don't need to do much recapping. Um, so David, pretty much, it's, it's a story of this kid who just, he had crazy faith in God, like young on. And so he, in front of all Israel, in front of everyone, he amazed everyone with his obedience and his faithfulness to God. And he took out the giant that was crippling, putting crippling fear into all of Israel. And so... Because of this, David was brought into Saul's servant. Like he, he basically became a part of Saul's company of people that served him and served um, the nation of Israel. So David's taken from his home, and he just he did awesome. I mean, he was constantly doing everything that King Saul told him when he was in charge of these people and going to war and battle. Like he did not lose. And I can't think even of why he would lose. I mean, he took out the giant by himself. I'm sure with other guys he can defeat the enemy, right? Always keeping God on his side. But today we're going to focus on basically one moment between David and Saul. From when David and Goliath fought to now, has, could have been several years. Um, it definitely, there's a lot that happened. David now got married to one of Saul's wives. And he's found himself, because he was so successful and was so obedient to God, that he basically, he caused Saul to hate him. Saul just couldn't stand who he was. He couldn't stand the type of person that he was and that he always succeeded. So he was completely jealous of David. And because of that, David has to flee for his life. And so the title of today's message is The Madness of Mercy. And we're going to look at how we can show mercy to people, how we're supposed to show mercy, and, and at the, what's at the heart of showing mercy. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. This, this is the chapter we're going to focus on today mainly. And we'll start at verse 1 and go through 4. And if you're using normal Bible, say man when you're there, or it'll be on the Sky Bible. Maybe it won't be on the Sky Bible. So you should probably bring your Bibles to church. That's all I'm saying. Just plain. I'll read it aloud. If you're there, say amen. Okay, that seemed like the majority. <laughs> verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines... He was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Verse 4, And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now David now has the chance to eliminate Saul, and yet God's chosen refuses to destroy his rival. And you think, what a perfect opportunity that fell into David's lap. I mean, it all lined up perfectly for him. Like, there's the king right there. David's been anointed king. Like, well, I guess this is my time to shine. I'm going to take him out in this cave. But before we dive into 
that situation between David and Saul, the first thing that struck me as I was praying over this and reading over this was these 3,000 troops that were chosen by Saul. These 3,000 guys. And I tried to think, I mean, David now has a pretty good reputation in Israel, right? He's the giant killer. Like, this guy doesn't lose. He slays thousands upon thousands. And it got me thinking, man, maybe these guys were chosen and maybe even volunteered to go take out David because they were jealous of him as well. Could it be that because David was so successful that they wanted to completely wipe him out? Could it be for us made practical that you've been so influential for God's kingdom and served him so well that there are other people that just want to see you fall flat on your face? Is that the reality in the kind of world we live in today? I mean, you see it all the times, and maybe you've experienced it as a Christian. You say something to do something unorthodox or whatever, and the people that don't even believe, like, "Mm mm-hmm, you just called yourself a Christian. Lies. And they know exactly how you're supposed to act. You ever realize that? Or they want to catch you do something wrong. They want to catch you say something wrong or act wrong or, or be at a point where you're not showing too much mercy or you're not too happy about somebody, and so you're honking at them and doing whatever. And so they want to catch you in the act. And how do we handle these accusations? How do we handle when we know there's people out there that want to see us fail? They don't want to push you. They don't want to encourage you. They don't want to help you. They want to see you fall flat on your face. And how do we handle that? I believe today God's going to show us how we can overcome those obstacles and those traps that people set up for us and the ultimate, our ultimate enemy, the devil, sets up for us to see us fail. And if we look at David's life, David, again, he'd already been anointed to be king. He was faithful. He did everything that he was supposed to. He did everything right. But yet he still had to flee. He had to leave. He wasn't in the wrong. But this was a battle that he could not win. You ever been there? Where, it's, where it's, there's something that you could fight back, you could do something, but you just hear God saying, it's not yet. It's not time. Don't do it. Just move on. Keep going. And you're like, oh, but I want to. I want to give him a piece of my mind, man. So I was like, shush, dude, calm down. Walk away. I hate those moments sometimes. Sometimes I do because I get a little confrontational sometimes. Maybe you wouldn't think of it. Maybe not. But I'm like, oh, I could do it right now and just end it. It'd be over. I don't like holding things. Like when me and my wife argue, because that's normal, right, with marriage. When we argue sometimes, yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect, okay. What I want to do, what, what we did initially is she would... She needs her space immediately. She needs to cool down, calm down, and I'm not. I'm like, I just want to talk this thing out until we're over with. Like, let's go. Why are you so upset right now? She's like, leave me alone. And so you have to learn. I had to learn. You know what? Maybe, maybe it would be better for my health if I just walk away sometimes. Like, you just have your space. And we see David in this moment, for whatever reason, he knows that God is saying, don't fight this battle. Just walk away. Some things you're going to go through in life, it's not time for you to fight. You just need to trust God and keep moving on, even when it makes you look like the failure, even when it makes you look like the loser. And in chapter 18, previously, this is right after David and Goliath and stuff, when David is is being so successful, it's when Saul tries to kill David for the very first time. And I really, I'd been praying, I was trying to seek to understand David in this moment and put myself into his shoes. And if you remember, David is, is asked to to sing worship basically over Saul. God had allowed this tormenting, this evil spirit, whatever is depression, anxiety, to torment Saul. And the only way to defeat that was by David worshiping God. 
Because when you usher in God's presence, the enemy has to flee. And so because David was that vessel and David was praising God, that it relieved Saul and helped him out. It helped the guy out because David was there. But in this moment, it seems to be like a normal day. And David's just there, this man of war, playing a lyre, looking awesome, looking super manly, just there strumming on a lyre, maybe singing. And Saul is just he's sitting in his chair and he's looking at David like, I can't stand you. I can't stand that you're so successful. I can't stand that you do everything right. Who are you? You think you're better than me? You want to be king? And you just think of all these thoughts he's thinking. And he has a spear in his hand, right? And so obviously the atmosphere had to change because the Bible says David, David evaded it. So he, like, he saw it coming or knew it was coming. So maybe the atmosphere changed. He knew it was like something's not right. And Saul just takes the spear and throws it at him. The Bible says he tried to pin him to the wall. So it wasn't just a lie. Uh, like he, everything he had, he wanted to pin David to the wall. Okay. And so David, he's playing his lyre. Try to picture it. He's just playing. And then the spear comes like, what? Like poof, stuck into the wall. And I tried to think, okay, if I was David, how would I handle this situation? And it's completely ungodly. Okay. So don't think about doing this when you're, when you get almost assassinated. So I was thinking, man, if I was David in that moment, my first thoughts would be, are you serious? Like, I've done everything for you. I've done everything you've asked. I'm here. I've left my entire family, left everything I knew how to do. I took out the giant. I'm like, really? And you're going to try to kill me? Like, I can imagine if it was me in David's shoes, I would have probably took the spear out of the wall because I'm strong because I'm a man of war, right? I don't know if I could actually take a spear out of the wall. I haven't really tried it. But take it out of the wall and look at him like, look Saul dead in the face. And maybe even point the spear out and make it super theatrical. Be like, you saw what I did with a rock. Do you really want to test me with a spear, bro? Like, yeah, I got to think. That, that, that's something that I thought, like, man, that would have been epic. That'd be a cool movie scene, right? Like, David, like, really? Really? You saw what I did with a pebble, bro? Give you an offer? You can't. Oh, that's a different movie. I'm just playing. So anyways, David doesn't do that at all. He doesn't do it. Instead, David respects Saul and his position too much. He respects that God put Saul there, and because of that, he is humble and merciful. And instead of fighting this, instead of standing up for himself and, and doing what we think is right, he just flees, and he runs for his life. He knew that whatever was going to happen to Saul or him is in God's complete control. It's in God's hands, whatever happens, no matter what the situation looked like. God is in control, and he was not going to take God's authority into his own hands. And that was then, as in chapter 18. But now we're in chapter 24, and now the opportunity presents himself in a really awesome way. Because now David is not alone. Because he left and had to flee, 400 angry, bitter disreputable, nasty dudes are now under his command. They all heard David was hiding out, and they go to him. They're like, we ain't got nowhere else to go. We'll fight for you. And David still couldn't, it couldn't leave his calling. He was called to be a leader, and he's still a leader. In his time of brokenness and, and despair, he is still leading people. He is still doing what God is calling him to do. And you got to think of it. There's these 400 dudes, and they've got his back. And they've been hiding out. Saul's been chasing with these 3,000 guys. And then they've all hid themselves in this cave, right? And they're all crept down. Crept down and, and David's there. And then all his boys are there. And then you see Saul come in. He's completely alone. And you got to think what's going through these guys' minds. And maybe what they're saying to David. They're like, bro, there he is. 
This is your moment, man. Take them out. But do you hear the lie? Do you catch the lie that they said to David? Here's what they said in verse 4. It said, and the men of David said to him, and this is just to prove a point, be careful who you surround yourself with. Even if they seem like they're the right kind of people, you shouldn't always listen to them. You should surround yourself with people who are like-minded, like faith, okay? And so they said to him, and the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. When has God ever said that? You know what? You just do whatever you think is best, man. You're Lord of your own life. Don't listen to me. Just do what you think is best. And that's what these guys are telling David. Like, guess what? Here's the opportunity. You just do what you think is best. And you can find yourself in a world of hurt when you try to follow God by doing what you think is best, by making your own standard instead of going to God's word, Instead of listening to what he says, how he says to handle situations, you're like, I think this is right, so I'm going to do it. And sadly, there are a lot of Christians nowadays that do this. They like certain aspects of the Bible. This is good. I love this part of the word. This is cool. I'm going to stay away from Ecclesiastes because that's pretty depressing. Or stay away from this. I'm going to stay away from the prophets. I'm going to stay away from Revelation, whatever it is. And you pick and choose the God you want to choose or you want to serve. And with God, it's all in, man. You can't just do what seems right. And at this moment with David, everything feels right, maybe. Everything looks right. The people around him are telling him, it's okay, this is right. Do you give in? When we live by these guidelines of making our standard, it's easy to find ourselves outside of God's will. And you think, I mean, I've been thinking that a lot lately of, of doing what's right, doing what feels right, especially with a baby on the way. And I'm scared to death half the time, so I pray a lot. And uh, I pray more. Maybe that's why God did it, so I would pray more. I don't know. You never know. God may be giving you some things that just, he's like, you need to pray more. I'm going to give you this trial. And you're like, Lord, I need you. Exactly. This is what I'm trying to teach you. And so I've been thinking as a parent, and, and I'm trying to learn from all of you guys and other people how to parent and, and learning that sometimes it, when you do what seems right or looks right, it's not necessarily right. And that's not just parenting. It's, it's with everything. Like David in this moment, it, it, it all looked right, but he knew it was off. He knew this was not God's will. And there are times where we do that and we make those little compromises to basically, instead of doing what God said 100%, maybe I'll just give him the 70%. I'll give him 70% obedience on this. And a lot of times it's, it's not like that where you, you make that and you don't do exactly what God called you to do or God told you to do and, and everything seems fine. But you get to a point eventually where you find yourself in a state of distress and distraction and nothing seems to be going right. And you can't remember like, what was that one thing that happened? And it's not always that one thing. It is the hundreds of compromises. It is all those times before that you decided, I'm making my own standard. I'll do what I think is right instead of following God. And it's not that we don't make compromises and give in to cultural practices or peer pressure around us. It's that we recognize the mistakes that we make, and we make them right as soon as we can. As soon as we realize we've made a mistake, as soon as we realize we have made ourselves Lord of our own life, we have to fix that. And that's what David does in this moment. 
David immediately stood up to his men that were whispering in his ear and was like, this is not how I'm going to become king. God said, this is not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do what I think is right or what feels right. If God wants me to become king, he is going to make it happen how he chooses. I'm not going to be God's hand on this. I'm not going to do it. And instead of staying in the dark with his shame, because he immediately regretted it, he immediately regretted cutting the corner off Saul's robe because now he is, he's defiled Saul. He's, he's put his hand on him where he shouldn't have. Instead of staying in the dark with that, he allows himself to be exposed and to face Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting at verse 8. And then we're going to read 8 and then jump to verse 11. Verse 8 says, Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage, still showing him respect. Jump to verse 11 with me. See, my father... See the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Verse 13, as the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? 15. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. And in this moment of bravery of David stepping out, God's chosen promises to preserve his rival's life. And no matter what the stakes were, Saul was going to destroy David. He was going to do everything in his power. You see it time and time again. He tried to kill David several times. He's constantly chasing him. Even after this moment, we'll learn Saul did not stop trying to chase David. But David was protected by God. David was obedient to God. He was faithful to God. He did everything that he possibly could, and he knew in his power that God was telling him to do and how to handle different situations. And because of that, he was protected. And Saul went to catch David exposed and vulnerable, but God made Saul the one that was vulnerable and exposed. When you seek vengeance in your own strength, God will make you a greater victim than how you feel. And Saul, he felt like a victim. He was a king. He was a king over all Israel, God's people. And he still felt like a victim. He still felt like people didn't love him. People weren't there for him. People weren't on his side. His pride was hurt. And he chose to try and elevate himself by putting David beneath him. And maybe even literally, like six feet underground is where he wanted David. He wanted David completely out of his sight, completely out of his presence, never to be heard from again. But no matter the outcome... Saul was always going to feel inferior and betrayed because he was trapped in a mindset. He was trapped in this mindset of, of he let these thoughts and his pride and everything rule him. Don't allow the enemy to trap you in your own mind. And you know what I'm talking about. It's the thoughts that come in that, that, that try to tell you. I'll give you some examples. Tell me if you've heard of this one. You'll never be good enough. Anybody heard that before? Anyone been attacked that way? You'll never be good enough. 
never, there's no, nothing you do, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be good enough. Or tell me if you've heard this. No one really likes you. Heard that one? Nobody really, you know what? They act like it and they say it to your face. They don't really like you. You don't have any real friends. You don't have any people that at the end of the day, when push comes to shove and your back's against the corner, nobody's going to be there for you. You don't got any real friends here. Stop lying to yourself. They're not really your friends. Or you'll never have a healthy relationship with blank, whether it be your spouse or your parents. For me, that was a lie that I heard a lot. I'll never, you'll never have a healthy relationship with your dad and your mom. It's never going to work out. Or with your kids, you'll never have a healthy relationship with your kids. It's broken. It's kaput. And when you allow those thoughts to be the one invading your life, you find yourself like Saul and you're just trapped. You are just completely trapped and you're paralyzed in fear and depression. But how do you beat that? You beat it by allowing God's voice to overpower the enemy's voice. I'll tell you something I do to, that's, that's biblical, I've found, that helps me get through those when I'm hearing those lies and, and, and the thinking that you'll never be good enough or you'll never amount to nothing or there's no way you could ever lead like this or whatever. I always go to a, a Bible verse, and it's in Psalms 139. I don't have it up there, but it just it talks about that God has more good thoughts over you than all of the grains of sand on all the seashores. It's a lot of good thoughts. It's a lot of good thoughts. So let's not just talk about the millions and millions of good thoughts that God has towards you. Let's just talk about 10. Think of if you can hold on to 10 grains of sand, of 10 good thoughts that, has, that God has towards you, that you start focusing on that, that when the lies come in, that you'll never be good enough. You'll be like, well, guess what? God says I'm good enough. He loved me so much that he sent his son for me to die for me. He cares about me. He gave it all for me. If it was just for me, he did it. Or you'll never have any real friends. Just like, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you alone. You're never alone in your problems. I'll never have a healthy relationship. It's God is the God of reconciliation. He brings people together. He brings community. He brings that peace. And when you start focusing on that, that those lies get quieter and quieter and God's voice becomes louder and louder of telling you who you really are how you were made in his image, how you were loved, how you are worth it, how you do have an identity, and it's in him. It's not in the things you do or the things of this world. It is all in him. And when you deal with it that way, that God's voice and his love for you begins to choke out the depression. It begins to choke out the fear. It begins to choke out the anxiety that you no longer live in that shame or that depression that you allow God to completely transform your mindset. Renew your mind. And for some of you, that's what you have to do today is you have to pray that God completely renews your mind because you're letting those thoughts just destroy you, all these thoughts. And you have to let God's voice be louder. And how do I know it's scriptural? Because guess what? Like I said, it's in Psalms 139. Who wrote Psalms 139? David. This guy who has been fleeing from being murdered. He is, he's, he's fleed from his safety. He's been lied about. He's been chased. He's been driven from his home, his position, driven from his marriage, driven from safety. And the vehicle and the engine that propelled him forward is that God's here for me. No matter what this looks like, God's here for me. He loves me. He cares about me. When it seems like no one else does, I know God does. 
and that's going to push him through. And so when he finds those moments of weakness and those moments of despair, he lets God's thoughts towards him propel him forward. And if you notice, Saul was so threatened by David's response. David was like, why are you chasing me? I'm a nobody. It's like, I'm a dead dog. I'm a flea. I'm nobody to you, man. And it's easier to show grace and mercy when it's coupled with real humility. When you recognize that you're not above someone else. When you recognize that you don't need to dethrone someone. And David, he continues to show mercy to Saul. And he decides not to take God's place and dethrone Saul in front of everyone or even in secret. Because he respected the position that he was in. And look how easy it could have been for David to get offended. Do you notice that? This day and age, how easy it is to offend somebody. Maybe I've offended you since I've been up here. It's possible. And you see that, that a lot of people, you can say stuff, and it's, it's so quick that they get offended. And if you don't think this is honest and this is reality, maybe it's because you're the one that gets offended by it. Maybe you're not recognized because that's you, and you constantly get offended at stuff. But how easy could it have been for David to get offended He'd be like, what? Do you know who I am? I'm the anointed king of Israel. This is enough. I've had enough. I'm done with this. But instead, he showed mercy in the situation. And with that, he had God's favor. Are you letting what you're offended by keeping you from God's favor? Are you like Saul in this moment, where you're letting that spirit of offense rule you, that it's keeping you from a real relationship with God? Is it really that big of a deal? Does everything and everyone really need to please your personality and your perspective? Is that what expected of everyone around you? That they just think exactly how you think and do things exactly how you think they should be done? I don't think so. Because that's what Saul thought. And he's like, why isn't everyone for me? Why isn't everyone on my side? And because of that, he, he was mad. He was ridiculously mad. But what keeps us from living in offense or being ruled by it? When you trust God in the situation, and then you remember that you are his servant. Yes, you're a leader, but you're his servant. You serve people. That's what God calls us all to do, to serve others, to bless others, to show mercy to others when they don't deserve it. And God doesn't promise to make your life easy, but he does command that we serve others and we respect our authority above us. That we respect those people that are put in those positions over us. And I think back with my parents when I was younger, I thought their rules were so dumb. So dumb. They just, they wouldn't, when, it was before I was 15, so when I was a younger kid to early teenage years, it's just they, they stopped me from going hang out with certain people because they were bad news, or they stopped some of the music that I listened to or didn't allow me to watch certain movies. I mean, there were all these different rules, um, and I couldn't go spend the night at my friends. They always wanted to know where I was going, and I just thought, this is so dumb. I hate following these rules. I hate doing everything you have to say. And for a lot of time when I got older, I just completely dismissed everything they said. I was like, I don't need to listen to you. You're dumb. What do you know? Right? But when I gave my life to Jesus, I felt so ashamed of my actions. I felt so ashamed of how I treated them, even though they weren't perfect. God reveals something very important to me. And teenagers, kids, listen up. The Bible calls you to honor your mother and father. Period. Even when it seems unfair, even when it seems unpleasant, 
you do what they tell you to do. Because not only when you disobey your parents, do you not get their wrath on you, which is terrible, right? If you've experienced that, I did earlier on. I hear they don't spank kids as much anymore. That's frowned upon. But I definitely got whoopings, man. When you don't listen to them and you disobey them, not only do you get that, but you also get to be disciplined by God. Especially when you claim that you're following Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, God disciplines those he loves. He completely does. And so when you're in those moments, like I wish I could go back and, and, and understand, like even when my parents seemed crazy and they were just like veins were popping as they're telling me a new rule that just popped up because of something I did, if I would have just said, okay, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, I would have been a lot better off. Because if you do what they tell you to do and you go back and, and it, maybe they're in the wrong, if you're praying and you're seeking God, God will reveal it to them. God will deal with them on their own time. And that's for anybody that's over authority of you. I'm talking to teenagers. I'm talking to anybody, adults now, whoever's in authority. Do what they tell you to do and how they tell you to do it. As long as it doesn't conflict with God's word and conflict with you being in a relationship with him, do what they ask you, even when it seems crazy and dumb. And then pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that, God, if they're not in the right, help them out. Help them out because they seem crazy. And I don't think this is right. But I'm, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And I'm going to love them, and I'm going to extend that grace and mercy. Even if it doesn't seem fair, respect the authority. And you can be like David in this moment where, like we said, you go to God, and like he told Saul, he's like, let the Lord avenge between us. There's a problem, there's a conflict. You know what? I don't even need to deal with it in my own hands. God, I'm giving this to you. you got to take care of it. Because if I interfere, I'm going to get ridiculous and belligerent. If he's already interfering and look what's happening to him, God, you've got to be in the midst. So when you find yourselves in those problems of, of where it just seems crazy and hectic and you're finding a hard time to follow the authority that's above you, give it to God. Let God be on your side. Let God intervene because he's going to do a better job than you can. And he can speak to people better than you can. Amen? And because David respected Saul's authority, he found himself in a position where Saul's fate was now in his hands. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting at verse 16. It says, As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I. For you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Verse 20. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. Verse 22, and David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. And after all that happens, God's chosen promises to preserve his rival's family. And maybe this whole time as I've been talking and we've been going through the scripture together, maybe you thought you were in David's shoes. But what if, in fact, you are Saul in this story? What if you're the bad guy? We all like to think of ourselves as heroes, as most stories, like, yeah, I'm totally that guy. But what if you're Saul? What if you're the bad one in this? Saul messed up, and he sought to destroy someone that God loved. 
And then in the fact he was spared by the same guy he wanted to humiliate and kill. And his response, please don't take your anger out on me through my family. Saul understood that David could humiliate Saul by wiping out his family. Have you ever been in a position where you failed God in such a way that unless he came down to give grace and mercy in that situation, the people you love were going to suffer? Have you ever been there? You messed up. You did it. They didn't. But because of what you did, now they have to suffer. Your family, friends, whatever, that's all on you. I've known parents before as a Christian and, and, and everything else, parents that would they'd get their paychecks and they'd go to a casino and they'd gamble it all thinking they can double their money or triple their money because they know what they're doing. They're in control. I'm great at casinos. Great. And they gamble all they had and they lose their rent. And now they've got to figure out, where is my family going to live? Where do we go from here? That's an extreme situation. I've known parents that, that earlier on when I first got saved and stuff, that they were so distraught at the state of their kids as adults because they had failed to push them to be involved. They failed to take them to church. They made all those hundreds of little compromises that we talked about earlier. Like, it's not that important. We skip today. We can skip today. It's okay. You can skip today. But because of all of that skipping and because of not pursuing that, that they never had a real foundation with Jesus. It just became a religious thing. And now that there are grown adults, the parents thought, yeah, sure, they will choose to go after Jesus with all of their heart. Wrong. No, they won't because you didn't give them the choice. These parents did not give their kids a choice to choose on how you serve Jesus, how you go to Jesus, how you have a relationship with Jesus. And they're so distraught because now it seems too late. That seems too late. And a lot of them take blame for themselves. I should have done that. I should have forced them to be involved. I should have told them you're going to church. This is what we do or whatever it was. Be involved in youth, whatever it is. But now it seems too late. And how do you handle that when it seems too late? That because of your choices, the people you love dearest are seeming to suffer. And Saul is at that point where he knows it's too late. And in this case, God's chosen decides to show mercy again, but not just in this moment. A future mercy that he didn't even deserve. That Saul, I know you messed up and you were bent on destroying me. But not only will I show grace and mercy to you because this is what God tells me to do, I'm going to show it to your family too. And that's what, God, what Saul definitely didn't deserve. And honestly, you don't deserve the mercy that God gives you. I definitely don't deserve the mercy that God gave me. After everything I did in my life, out of all I lied to, out of the addictive lifestyle I was in, of all who I was mean to, who I tempted, how I cursed out Christians, how I thought they were dumb, of all the people I fought, of, of everything, how I hated God completely, he still gave me grace and mercy for another chance. And so when you find yourself in those moments of it just seems too late, I want to encourage you that God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning, as long as you have breath, you can ask God to intervene. You can ask God for help because you can't have it all figured out. And you're going to make mistakes. 
going to make mistakes. Even when you give your whole life to the Lord, you're still going to mess up. Still. But it's recognizing that and trusting God, help me through this. Because there's no way I can get through this. There's no way my family can get through this unless you intervene. But with this mercy comes obedience and repentance. You have to recognize where you did mess up, where you are messing up, where you're making those compromises, and change it. And that's how you come from those hundreds of compromises where you end up like Saul and and bitterness and hate and hating someone to where David, when he cut off the piece of cloth on the robe, he recognized it and went and faced Saul. You know what? I messed up. This is wrong. The Lord's going to handle this situation. You have to look at what you're messing up and trust in God. And when you trust God, it leads you to battles that, that can only be won when you continue to trust God. Like David, the only way he took out Goliath was not because he was the most skilled slingshot guy in the world or he was the only hope of all of Israel. It's because he trusted in God. And he said that when he faced Goliath. God is going to do this. God is going to show you today who he is. I'll be the vessel, sure, but it's God that has the power and authority. And because he trusted God in that situation when he's faced with Saul and faced with being attacked and even had that moment that he could take out Saul, he ended up trusting God again. And that has to be a lifetime event, an everyday event where you wake up and, God, I trust you. God, you've got to help me through this. I'm, I'm at another one. I'm at another one. I'm in a new trial. I know you helped me last time. I need you to help me again. And that's how you become the David in the story instead of saying as Saul And Saul found mercy in David, but we find greater mercy and grace in Jesus. That's what David was foreshadowing, who our real king is. And Jesus, he constantly loves people that hate him. He constantly rescues those that curse him, and he intercedes for those that fail him. And we all deserve destruction. We all deserve payment for our sins, payment for everything we did. But Jesus still extends that grace and mercy. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he paid the ultimate price, so that you could have another chance. Even though you don't deserve it, he's like, I will do this for you. I will show you what real mercy looks like. And the madness of mercy can only be really explained by looking at Jesus, looking at his life, looking at what he does, and and looking what he does in other people's lives. That's why testimonies are so important. When you see what God's brought someone through, you're like, man, God is awesome. Did not think God would do that, but he did it. And it just builds your faith up even more. And to learn how to show mercy and give mercy, we always have to look at Jesus as our standard. He has to be our standard for how we treat people, how we love people. Because though people didn't deserve it, he still did it. There was no one below his touch of grace and mercy, even now. There is no one unworthy enough for Jesus to come and intervene in their life. Amen? So today, will you choose to follow in Jesus' footsteps and forgive others? Or will you let bitterness and pride destroy your mind and future like Saul? You have that choice. When you're faced with that stuff, when the people are coming against you, will you... Be like Jesus and forgive them and show the grace they don't deserve. Or will you just let it pile up and continue to pile up your entire life when you're plagued and you're trapped in your mindset like Saul and there's nowhere to go? You're completely choked out. It's your choice. It's your choice. Give those things to God. Give those things to Jesus. He is there to help you. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.